0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control-Alt-Delete. My guest today is the brilliant Christine Armstrong. She is a writer, she is a speaker, she talks a lot about the future of work and flexibility. She is a contributing editor as well for Management Today. She is known to blow up the bullshit about working parenting and dig into the truth about what works and what really doesn't. I absolutely love Christine's attitude and work and the way she speaks about the things that she's passionate about and you might have read her piece in the Times a while ago that went viral called Why Working Mums Are Being Sold an Impossible Dream about work-life balance and how to set the record straight which came out to promote her book The Mother of All Jobs, How to Have Children and a Career and Stay Sane-ish. The book is absolutely brilliant it is really eye-opening it exposes a lot of truths and a lot of the bs around having it all and i just absolutely loved the book i really recommend it we recorded this episode pre-lockdown and before all of this kicked off so just wanted to say that really as a disclaimer and christine now is researching our response to working from home en masse And asking what people want to happen next when life resumes in a bit more of a normal way. So I'm really looking forward to reading that and what Christine has to say on it as well. So I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, We got into it. We got into the nitty gritty of parenting, work and why flexible working doesn't always work in the right way. So if you liked it, please do leave a rating or a review and I will see you next time. so excited to be in the company of Christine Armstrong, who is kind of my favourite person to corner at any sort of drinks, because you are just the best to talk to about life and work. So thank you so much for coming on. It's a joy. I'm really happy to be here. When we first met in a work context, it was the Pregnant Not Screwed panel, and I just loved everything about it, because we were all there kind of, you know, just sitting there telling our story, and you just came in, sat down, and you were like, right. I've got some things I need to say. And I just honestly was in awe of like how you own the room at those things. And I wondered, have you always been like that? Or is that something that over the years you've kind of got more confident? I just, I wondered if you were just like the kid that, you know... No. Was confident to talk. I don't think
1: I was. I think I was really shy and dorky and socially awkward as a teenager. And um, I wrote a piece today about boarding school and I hated it. Like my parents were abroad, I went to boarding school, I was so awkward. My friends are trying to organise a reunion and it literally makes me anxious. It's like revisiting a place that's really uncomfortable. But I think as I worked, I worked in advertising agencies. And um, communications companies, I just did more and more presenting. And so I think it's really hard won in terms of I've done it really badly loads and loads and loads of times. And so I've slowly got better. And when people ask me, which they do now, I kind of come off stage and they go, wow, you're know, like, how do you do that? And I don't really know because it's sort of, I've learned it really unconsciously. And I still get it horribly wrong sometimes, but I sort of feel like I've kind of figured out some of the things that work for me but it isn't a very conscious process
0: that's really comforting to hear though because I think as you do something more and more you get better at it and I suppose I think seeing you speak you're kind of watching someone that has honed that craft which is is really powerful especially for the topic of the book the mother of all jobs I feel like that's got a lot of passion and energy and maybe a slight bit of rage or not rage but anger there is like a at the root of it we're all a bit pissed off yeah i think that's true
1: so sophie walker who used to be the head of the women's equality party says you know that motherhood is something that often turns people into activists because a lot of us can identify as feminists and you know see the world as broadly benign and broadly it's probably going to be okay and maybe I just should work a bit harder and it'll be fine until we have kids and it can be a moment it isn't for everyone some people sail through it for a lot of people it's a real wake-up call that this is not going to be plain sailing it's much much harder than we expected and confronting that being honest about it and then dealing with that and your change in identity and your changing relationship with the world is a really big transition. And for me, it was a real shocker because I'd been brought up on those sort of panels where very important, powerful CEO-type women say, you know what I did, I just got a super nanny and she was marvellous and she still lives in our house and um, I just worked really hard and you'll be able to do it too. And I kind of absorbed those messages and sort of thought, right, you just get great childcare and you work hard and it'll be fine. And it turns out that wasn't enough and that also... It also has enormous assumptions about your ability to pay for that kind of support and all the rest of it. So, um, yeah, it was a real wake-up call and I felt that not enough was being said honestly about it and that's what I wanted to do with the book.
0: Totally, because I think at those panel events and maybe, I don't know, I feel sort of strangely maybe guilty of going to those sorts of events or being part of those events like on International Women's Day where you have got like the Cheryl Sandberg types who are... Saying how they make it work, and it is it is very unrelatable to most people. And I wondered because I did listen to an interview you did once where you said your English teacher years and years ago said that you were going to be a journalist, maybe because you you want to know these stories, you want to be a bit nosy with people's yeah. backstories. Did you feel like you wanted to take on the real the real stuff?
1: Well. I Yeah, so that is true. So I was about 15 and on a train to London to visit the Victoria and Albert Museum and my then teacher said, um, my English teacher Mr Crump said, you know, I really think you should be a journalist because you're just so nosy. Mm. And that is a defining characteristic. I am really interested. When I started the interviews, though, I just wanted the information for myself. It was actually quite selfishly motivated. I just needed answers. and But what I found, because I'm never interested in the surface of what people say, I want to dig into it and really understand it and pull it apart. But what I came to understand really quickly was that what you can say publicly is so different to what you say privately with your friends in spaces where nobody else is listening, or over a few drinks. Even with a stranger, if you meet someone for a gin and tonic or you know, even a coffee, you will get a completely different story to what you'll get if you sit and interview them in a formal way, as as you know. And what became really clear to me was that we were setting up this sort of false story, which was all these people go on panels, and and if you Then say to them, but you sat on that panel and said everything was fine. They're like, Well, I can't slag off my boss. I can't say that, you know, my partner gives me no supports. I can't say that my kids have got behavioural issues. This is not fair on all those people, but it means that we can't tell the truth about it. So, what I wanted to do was rip through all of that and say, Right, what's really going on here? How difficult is it? And if it's difficult for these women who have, you know, made it in whatever sense you want to find. how is it for everyone else who's got a completely ordinary job and ordinary income and that yeah that's what I wanted to get under really
0: yeah that's so true because I always think of that if it's difficult for the ones who can maybe quit their corporate job and like go and be an influencer or something where they've got like all the setup and all the support and maybe all the money what happens to the you know potentially quite voiceless women who absolutely can't, like, slag people up on Instagram captions about right. how it's not working. It's sort of a
1: catch-22 here. I feel like a lot of people who comment on this and some of the books that have been written are really well-intentioned, but they're often written by people who are not in corporate life because it didn't work for them, which is fine. They've got a voice, they've got something to say. Brilliant. But it means that all those people who are in jobs, who are in a kind of structure, who are, you know, bottom of it, middle of it, edging towards the top of it, whatever, they don't have time to sit around in the evening necessarily when they've got small kids and write a blog or make a podcast or even write instagram stories and so i did feel like there was this unheard mass of people who were just plugging away at this trying to make it work sticking things together you know getting to breaking point drinking a little bit too much wine probably feeling a bit wobbly at the end of the day who's just we're not getting to those people that's the stuff i wanted to get out
0: yeah and it really taps into the performance culture that you talk about and how we're kind of portraying these lives that we feel happy with but actually on the like under the surface there's so much going wrong and i mean you talk a bit about this but the rise of social media and the rise of emails and the rise of the the length of the workday has got longer you interfeed other generations who are older and they didn't seem to be as stressed as us, oh, This it seemed? Is a, this is a really tricky one. I actually did um,
1: a, a talk recently in Sussex to a group of women who were supporting hospices and raising money. And they were... I mean, you know, they were an older group. They were very largely retired, probably sort of 70, some older, maybe some 80. And so I didn't want to misland the message with them because I thought they might respond badly. But I said, you know, I interview people. You know, I'm a researcher by background. So I went to talk to the the grandmothers and the grandparents and said, what's going on? And they were really funny because the first thing they said was, your generation is so lucky. I mean, you've got maternity, paternity, dads do more, flexible working. You know, we didn't have any of this stuff. And I go, oh, great, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so are we doing better? And oh, no, no, you lot are stressed out of your mind. You're a nightmare. And they were all in the room laughing, all these women, because they're like the ones who are picking up the slack from all their daughters and daughters-in-law and sons and sons-in-law who don't have enough childcare who are turning up going, you know, Charlie's got chicken pox and, you know, Victoria's got a, the school's shut down for training. Remember what those days are called? And so they're getting the brunt of it. So they were really laughing about how the fact that the always-on culture has made it so much more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and led to us being so much more stressed
0: I mean I don't have kids and I don't really listen to some podcasts about motherhood and things obviously I'm interested in it as a topic and I think reading your book I think everyone should read it regardless if you have kids because it's a bit of a like here's what it's like and I didn't know that childcare was that expensive I had no idea that you both probably would have to work to cover those bills.
1: But we all go into it thinking we'll be fine. And I interview so many people who say, Look, I had a really good job. I interviewed a woman, she was in the police force. She earned 35 grand a year. It's a really good job. I'd done really, really well. She lives way outside of London. You know, we had a really nice life. And my childcare bills for two kids were more expensive than my income. I had to give up. I'm like, this is madness. You know, we're talking about gender equality. Um, you know, we're talking about women not getting to the top of businesses and all the rest of it. And we've got a system which is designed for a world in which we thought mums might be at home we've got more and more and more women in the workforce great on one level but we haven't fixed out haven't sorted out how we're going to make everything else work and for all the times that we say oh it's fine you just have to work hard and get great childcare. we're not having that conversation
0: do you feel like this is a teething issue and we're just having some really honest uncomfortable conversations and if we're going to get through it because do you think we're going to look back and maybe our kids' kids or younger will just go, oh, that was a bit of a ball ache, but thank God we're through it. I really
1: hope so. I like to think that the parents, um, is, this is not, none of this is about parenting or gender in my world view. If you step back from it, this is really about our working hours culture and productivity. And we know that productivity is low and low compared to other European countries, but also low historically. And yet people are working 70 hours a week if they're connected electronically Mm. to work and that might sound like a really middle class thing but then I interview hairdressers and plumbers and people who are not earning very good salaries who are also expected to respond to clients and respond to their organisation whether they're working or not and I think that this is kind of the problem that we need to address which is how do we make work about getting stuff done and doing what we're supposed to do when for some jobs 80% of what people are doing is email meetings and conference calls in a global way where, you know, customers are global, our clients are global, our suppliers are global. So how do we match that to an idea of an eight-hour working day? And what we've done so far is we've kept those eight-hour working day contracts and it might say you work from 9 to 5.30 or whatever with an hour for lunch. But that's become the absolute minimum that people work. So they they might work – that's the sort of hours they're supposed to be in the office – But they do loads and loads around the sides. It's totally unappreciated, unacknowledged, but it just is life and everybody gets on with it, which maybe is fine. Maybe we know it's not great for our mental health, but fine, that's kind of how. Then when we have other things that we have to do or want to do, we then try and work out how to put that back in its box and we don't really know how to. And one of the ways we try to do it is by flex or flexible working which can work and when it does work is brilliant and it's what we should be aiming for I- partly but what I find too often is that what companies do in response to flex is simply rewrite those contracts that we don't pay any attention to already and say well okay you can finish at four or you can not work one or two days a week off you go with the same job with no job redesign and still no boundaries because we didn't have them before and no one else does and then people end up being paid less but not feeling that they've really escaped from work at all and that's where I sort of worry about people's mental health and I worry about our ability to contain how much we all work.
0: Totally, because I think I obviously advocate for flexible working as a whole and, and obviously it means different things within that of terminology course. of remote working or working different times or, I don't know, working from different locations or whatever. But I never really understood that whole, oh, log back on at 10pm with a glass of wine well, that's and, just shit, and finish your work after bath time. And I was like... That doesn't sound great. And if that's flexible working, I don't really want a part of that. Oh but I am noticing out on out-of-offices and, you know, big corporations, they do have a little disclaimer now where it's like, you know, we work flexibly, we might not get back to you immediately. And it's like that sort of, I don't know, like our employees work in a different way, so therefore don't expect blah, blah, blah. And that's what I'm enjoying. I'm seeing like the corporations yeah. that are actually putting a message out there and saying this is how we work.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that move to say there are times people are on and off is great. I think that moving away from the assumption that everybody is always, always contactable. But I think we've got a long way to go in most organisations for working out how the messaging works. I was interviewing somebody from one of the big consultancies this week who runs a big team. And the truth is that if one of their major international clients emails and says, hey, just a heads up, we're not so happy about what's happened. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is or what time of day. Yeah, A, she wants to see it because it's really really important to her and b she's expected to see it that's a part of her job and it really doesn't matter whether her email says i might email you at 10 o'clock at night you don't have to respond then yes. so i think that it's a cultural shift and i think um bruce days i interviewed him recently for a piece on this and he said it's like you're trying to speak a foreign language it's like if everyone else is working in this way, for one or two or a small number of people to come out and say, oh, I'm not actually available on Thursdays, is quite tricky for them. And and they can very quickly feel less valued, less important. We know the data on their promotions. We know they like to see as less committed. So this is a cultural shift. And I don't think it's just a work cultural shift. I think it's a bigger cultural shift that we need to think about. It's so
0: true. I don't know if this is just my opinion or maybe a controversial in some way. I don't think it is. Do you think that we don't have respect culturally, globally, for mothers? Because I find that when someone does have the child crying in the background on a conference call, people are rolling their eyes. I have such an issue with that. I feel like if we respect a pregnant woman or a woman who has just had a baby or the woman coming back to work, because I just feel like people just, they're like, oh, oh, well, back to work you go.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting one. Again, it's really cultural. So when I had my first baby, you commented just as we started, all my babies, um, I'm very dark, and but all my babies are very blonde and blue-eyed. And I took her, we were in Cyprus, I took her over the border into the Turkish side. And there were all these big signs saying no photographs at the border. And um, she was quite a chubby baby as well. And all these security guards, all the patrol, wanted to have their photographs taken with her. And they're all congratulating me and holding the baby. All the men, all the women passing her around, taking self Selfies with her and then we went across the border and um, I was in a restaurant and I was having my husband popped out the car and he came back he said where is she I said oh she's sitting over there at that table and this grandmother had come over and said can I borrow your baby she was like waving her at her grandsons obviously saying like I want one of these like when are you going to give me one and there was this like you felt like you're on a cloud of adoration you know motherhood is venerated but then it's a culture in which women don't often work and you know otherwise have much less power so I feel like where we've kind of equalized in capitalism and said well everybody's valuable because they're able to be productive that then we detract from other forms of um, you know other forms of engagement with the world and that's a shame so yeah I do think we don't value parenting you know there's this big thing this week about state boarding schools because we're all working too hard to raise our kids I'm like well surely we're answering the wrong question here. Surely there needs to be a space for people to have varied family lives, whether they have kids or not, and hobbies and lives and projects they want to be involved in, as well as work, and we've got to be able to figure this out.
0: Totally, And because I remember when I interviewed Helena Morrissey, she was saying that there's still an attitude towards paternity leave and men in the office where they like don't think it's cool, basically, to show that they care and they want to be at home. I know that she works in quite a male dominated environment. I think it's quite like macho. And uh, apparently, there was, you know, this sort of like banter in the office that someone had a problem or should go and see someone because he wanted to have a really long paternity leave. And that's obviously not at all okay to like mock someone for wanting to do that. And I feel like as a whole, we should really respect the art and the importance of parenting? Well,
1: there's really interesting data on men from America that says that um, when men have uh, babies for the first time, their testosterone drops and they become more empathetic, um, more collaborative, and more sort of sympathetic to the world. Um, and But if they don't spend any time with those children, it goes back to where it was before. So I think I could make a case with the, you know, uh, some of what happened in Canary Wharf and those financial towers that are full of men with lots of testosterone making big decisions that actually in a more traditional society perhaps men mellowed in a different way and perhaps as they grew up they became more empathetic and more caring and more nurturing and that we've slightly changed biology by taking mm. men out of the home life and even when we were kids I don't know how it was in your house but you know my dad was home sort of 5 5:30 every day I'd see him every day whereas now I regularly interview both men and women who really don't see their kids in the week certainly not in the evenings they might see them for breakfast and that's okay you know that's just how life is and or i see families where kids stay up really really late now in order to see their parents i think that's been a big shift when we were kids you know everybody went to bed at seven and our kids still do because i'm a bit of a 70s mom but lots of other people you know they're like well i don't get in until eight and so then we have dinner together Mm. and quite small kids
0: With your researching, because you've obviously done it for years now and you've had so many amazing interviews with people who have opened up, and also that Times, the Sunday Times article you did that kind of went viral because of these stories, it is obviously very harrowing, some of them. But what are some of the stories that have? kind of made you feel positive and like we could get somewhere
1: one which I often mention I often think to because I often talk about it when I'm talking to like business groups about it is um I interviewed a gay dad in New York about how his him and his partner uh, they'd adopted and when they went into the process they went through therapy they had to as part of the adoption process and they had to write these essays on how they were going to parent and they had to like decide how they were going to enforce discipline and what they would do when kids were sick and And he was just, when I was interviewing, he was just laughing and saying, like, our straight friends are ripping each other to shreds over this stuff. But we've got it on paper and we figured it out. Like, we did some work. So I think there are things where when people have, like, gone through it and often actually with solo parents and particularly single mums some of them have really been through the fire with abusive relationships violent partners you know really harrowing stuff what I really love is when you talk to somebody who's come out the other side and said I've redefined my world I've redefined my relationship with work I've got a brilliant relationship with my kids I've got an amazing social network because I've learnt to lean on my community and get really involved and I feel just such a better parent and so much happier and I think sometimes it's those hurdles that make us reflect and make Mm -hmm. us choose more actively rather than just kind of going with what we did before.
0: Yes, and redefining your own definition then. Because actually if you're trying to always reach that yardstick of someone else's definition. uh, Your work really reminds me in some ways of like Alan de Botton and how he tries to just lower expectations because even with the marriage articles, he writes about what a happy marriage is. He's like, a happy marriage is actually when you're a bit meh sometimes or you've had an argument but then you just watch something on Netflix and have a lovely glass of wine. It's like, it doesn't have to be under the Eiffel Tower. Mm -mm. all the time
1: and my experience with kids and from the stories i get told about kids i think the more that you invest in stuff the more sometimes it goes wrong the more kind of time i don't mean money just i just mean the time and the energy we're going to go to disneyland it's going to be amazing or equally we're going to go to grandma's and it's going to be great and then the times that are just hilarious my kids came home from school last week and they were doing an impression of I shouldn't say this on sort a of podcast, but their music teacher. It was just hysterical. They were all falling around laughing. They were doing impressions of the conducting. And it was just totally... It was like one of those photograph moments. But you don't photograph it. It's a mental photograph where you just go, this is what life is, right? Yes. This mad stuff where they're just dancing around.
0: So I think, yeah... Which it's is like the opposite of the Instagram My Perfect totally. Kids. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> if you'd taken a picture of it, it would look shit. It just would my untidy kitchen with my kids going bananas. There's nothing to photograph except to try and capture their hilarious joy something bonkers happening at school
0: yeah oh I love that because with um your work and this is quite a meta question maybe and maybe something I'm just nosy about because it maybe relates to me a little bit but when your work is quite personal or at least personally motivated you really care about this topic and you're talking about your maybe your own kids sometimes motherhood as a topic how do you separate your work and life or do you? So
1: this isn't all that I do so I I'm a multi-hyphenate so my background's in research and thought leaderships and communications so I do about half my work with companies getting in there into their issues and what they're into and you know understanding that better and it might be cement or supply chains you know it might be really quite technical and you know not the kind of stuff that I talk about normally and then the other half I talk about working and caring and parenting doing some work on bullying at the moment and things you know I talk about those things and write about them so I try and have a mix of the two and I find that being in businesses helps me to kind of keep in touch with what's going on and sort of helps me connected to those things they sort of feed each other but I don't get very weighed down by it like I generally sort of take pleasure in it and some people do say about my book I was in a law firm last week and this girl said I really loved your book but I did find it slightly depressing and I kind of I didn't but I kind of wanted to say yeah it is but that's why we've got to look at it and for me there's a kind of joy in peering into that darkness and then going right how do we fix this what do we do what do we do for ourselves and what do we do organisationally and society and if we don't peer into that darkness a little bit then i don't know how we resolve it
0: and the fact that you've spoken out so much i'm guessing that like the current work that you do people are very much aware of your opinions and therefore you've probably helped yourself get out of a rut because people know well christine writes about this stuff so (laughs) (laughs) you would think but what about people listening maybe who want to say something maybe something's gone down i know that there's many cases all the time of just like a little snide comment or someone, you know, losing a project just around the time that they've announced they're pregnant, oh. that that sort of thing.
1: I would say get help. I mean, the stuff that um, Jolie does with Pregnant Then Screwed is amazing. And I would say get legal advice, call them, they're brilliant, you know, definitely don't take it lying down in that sense. But how you act, I would, you know, be really conscious because you're very financially vulnerable. Um, depending on your partnership structure, you might be alone, you might need the income, you may need not to damage your reputation in a business. you have to be really pragmatic and long term about this and that 's a disappointing thing to say in one way i 'd love to come out all feminist and say you 've got to fight it to the barricades, but these are people 's lives this is fragile you 've got people who depend on you you 've got rent to pay or a mortgage to pay, and everybody 's got to make their own decisions so i 'm a very deep pragmatist, and I would say you know take a medium to long term view, be really analytical, get the help you need, make sure you 've got social support i mean one of the biggest things that I see so often is people who've been really invested in their job before they have kids not having a lot of local social support. So just not knowing the neighbours, not knowing people around the corner, maybe didn't bother with the baby groups because they were boring and crap, which I totally agree with on the whole. But but you go to them not to learn how to dance like a monkey, you go to them in order to make friends who will make you laugh through the darkness, through the vomiting bug, you know, through the days where you haven't slept for three nights. That's what you have to have. So I think insulate yourself as well as you can, and then be really pragmatic and hard headed.
0: Yes. Do you think the media is doing enough? I know even today the the, the piece about the state boarding schools, but yeah. it was weren't you were kind of it was, it was like a debate. Like, yeah, 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 pro yeah. And for and against, and there were two pros and me. <laughs> Yeah so this article was about the first state boarding school. Yeah well, um, no there have
1: been them in the past but it's a free school so it's the conservative policy around free schools my children go to a free school so it's a state school but um organised through central government and run locally and that basically a state school had been set up uh, which you could pay for the boarding on top of. So you get a state education, but then you pay for the boarding. I think it was 11,000 a year, something like that. And the idea was that this would help, I think they were called aspirational, aspirational families um, who basically worked a lot of hours. And I came out and said, I went to boarding school, I hated it, it wasn't great for me, but that's kind of irrelevant in a way because some people love it. I just don't think that outsourcing our kids is the solution to our bonkers hours culture. You know, there's good research that shows that If you work more than 55 hours a week, you start to become unproductive and make mistakes. At what point do we as businesses go, right, our productivity is not high enough. We want it to be higher. Maybe by actually managing the hours that we work, maybe by turning off email, maybe by letting people get on with what they actually need to do, we could do more in less time and people would be happier.
0: Yeah, like
1: other countries. (laughs) Like other countries. I mean, there's, you know, these companies in Germany, these tech companies that are doing five, six-hour days in order to, you know, have a less expensive workforce. But it's totally focused. You don't take your phone. You don't chat very much. You go in and do your job. People love it, apparently. You know, you just go in and do your job. Mm -hmm. I interviewed somebody from Britvik, a lovely guy. He was running a team in Britvik he found that they were quite overwhelmed. A lot of them had caring responsibilities and they started a rule where you didn't look at your email for a month until 10:30 or 11 in the morning. You just came in and did the most important thing you needed to do that day. He said it was amazing. It was so liberating. People were really energized by doing one thing in a really focused mm-hmm. way, but it fell apart because they had to go into their emails often to get the information and then they're in the rabbit hole, you know, yeah. unpacking everything else. So there's definitely a big piece about how we manage technology here.
0: Totally, It's really a bigger picture. It's just like on your deathbed, are we all going to be like, oh, we did that many emails? We're going to think of our family and our relatives, and it's just and it's that's, a good reminder. That's the
1: thing with boarding school. So I've interviewed parents who it were in very good jobs who sent their children to boarding school, and um, I've interviewed them after that. And sometimes they say, absolutely the best decision. We weren't home in the evening. They loved clubs. They loved their, being with their friends. Great. There's another group that says, honestly, when I look back on what I've missed and what they've missed, when I look at perhaps their mental health now... I think we might have made a mistake. And I think that we might have made a mistake is a very big burden to carry for somebody that you really care about. So did you say
0: that you went to boarding school? I did, yeah. Did you enjoy it?
1: No, I didn't. And my mother does regret it. Um, She actually, my parents were working abroad. So I went from four years in secondary and she actually came back because I was unhappy. And so my dad stayed working and she was at home because she just realised, you know, being a teenager is shit, isn't it? It's, it's horrible. I would time. never go back there. Imagine. Not being able to escape your peers—I mean, I say friends, but you know how teenagers are. You watch Sex Education, and it just brings back that toe-curling mortification about everything, you know, friendships and sex
0: and drugs and technology. I mean, it's, just, it's a nightmare. And your sensitivity is like paper thin. Like, if oh, any comment, any comment, no it perspective. Goes So it hurts. Like, I
1: know. And the the inability to escape to your room or have tea with your mum or your dad or your sister or your aunt or somebody that just makes you feel safe again i think is really precious
0: god that's it's really interesting one people want the best for
1: their kids you know my mother sent me my husband's mother sent they wanted us to have a good education both of our parents were bored people do it now for exactly the right reasons they want their kids to have great well-rounded educations There are brilliant schools out there. I totally get it. And for parents who are really, you know, not around in the evening or really stressed, there's a really strong argument that kids might well be happier in a different place. And everyone's got to make that decision. It's not for anyone else to judge. But for me, it wouldn't be the right decision. And I don't think it's a solution... On a sort of statewide UK basis to our hours problems
0: yes but it's really great how much you put it in context because I think sometimes we get so lost in just like the immediate life
1: well we're seeing the next generation coming through and I interview them as well I interview people whose parents you know both had big jobs sometimes already demanding jobs and again two camps you know there's a group that says they've really inspired me with a work ethic I want to work really hard and there's another group says I'm never going to work like that I don't know what what it was for Mm. all I wanted was for one of my parents to be at the school gate and they never were Mm. and you know that's not a legacy that I want but I only know this because I've done the interviews you know I was the woman who was never going to be at the school gate I spent the first two or three years of my oldest daughter's life at work so this is hard won knowledge from research and digging and pulling you know digging into it and then trying to learn to live a bit differently as a result of what I found
0: yes okay but one last question before I ask you something not related to this. I know that this is a very cliche question, but do you think that we cannot have it all at all? I think the sort of technical answer, the only answer that I've come up to this
1: is you can't have it all at the same time. Okay, Life is uh, statistically quite long and I think we try and pressure too many things into the same... Period of time. I uh, interviewed Zoe Williams from The Guardian once, who has very wisely said, you know, she tried to go and interview some women who were campaigning when one of her kids was like six or eight weeks and it seemed so important. And she looks back on it now and says, what was the rush? You know, why couldn't I give myself a bit of time? And I think we just need to be a bit more gentle with ourselves and just see life in a bigger context and say, OK, might be unlucky, but on average, we're going to live this long, you know, the 100-year life kind of thing, potentially. So what am I going to do at different points of that? And is there a season for different things? Yes. And is that OK? I, I, think, I think it think should be. Okay. Um, and I think that's an easier way to look at it.
0: Yes, I love that, because that is the question I think every, everyone's asked for years and decades, but I look around me and I just think, maybe I just have to pick some things and make it work. And I just think there's seasons. (laughs) I just think there'll be a
1: time when you can do loads and loads of things at the same time. And then there'll be periods where you focus on doing a few things and you feel great that you've done them. And then you'll come back out the other side. I mean, I love interviewing empty nesters about all the amazing stuff that they're doing, all the stuff they haven't done for years that they're really excited about. So I just think as long as we don't think that, you know, once you hit 55, you can't do anything anymore. There's loads of potential to do exciting things. You've just got to give yourself time to do it.
0: And also, I feel like people are working in seasons. I know it's maybe a privileged thing to get in a position where you can do it, but it seems to be more common now where people are like, do you know what, I'm going to go and take a few months out and come come back and, and all that stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, don't know how possible that is, but...
1: There'll be people who work throughout the, you know, you know you interview dozens of people who work throughout their children, but they may not be doing other things they'd like to do, like, you know, Zumba classes or whatever at different points. It's like, Whatever it means to you, there may be periods where you literally do your job and go home. There may be periods where you do your job and then can, do lots of other things, see your friends and do other things you want to do, or it may be you've got a side hustle and doing something else. I don't think it matters. I just think, you know, time's finite and you have to decide how you spend it. But I think the cosmo line about having it all really interestingly comes from the seventies where we didn't have phones and laptops and home computers. So that comes from the era of all right, it was stressful, but when you left at five five thirty you were done. Mm -hmm. And I think in that context you could perhaps have it all in a more of ironically, the it was meant. maybe yes. we had
0: more of it then. That's my
1: question. I just wonder, and even though there's much more inequality, and if you talk to that generation, they will talk very, very rictorily about the judgment and the inequality and the discrimination. Actually, time-wise, it was easier to separate home and work and do both.
0: Yeah. God, it's fascinating. So last question, what are you looking forward to coming up this year? In terms of work,
1: I'm also researching bullying, which I just think is another of those big uncovered. Mm-hmm. I'm watching, you know, all the John Berko allegation stuff, and i just uh, been interviewing people around that. And just um, I think it's a really interesting subject to get my teeth into next. Yes. So,
0: that's... Is that m- mostly workplace bullying? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah,
1: and it's, uh, it's so complicated. What I love are the people who tell you, when you ask them about bullying if you want them to tell you about the time they were a bully or when they were bullied because we mm-hmm. think about this in black and white but actually this is a hugely flexible yes. thing and, and people behave are
0: very vulnerable and very exactly and they behave differently issues. in
1: different contexts so what are those contexts that make somebody more likely to bully or to be bullied and how do we protect ourselves from bullies but also how do we protect organisations from it so that's what I'm thinking oh about at the moment I can't
0: wait to read that it's almost like the same psychology breakdown of when you're being trolled and you know actually maybe this isn't about me maybe it this never is, is about, right maybe this is about the person and actually yeah. I'm a reflection yeah. of what is triggering them
1: definitely that's so true it's all about their vulnerability and I, I'm sure you've done this as well sometimes somebody sends you a really furious email after something that you've written, I mean or a message and they're so angry. And if you call them or you respond saying, I'm really interested in your view, they say, oh, I was so sorry, I didn't I didn't actually think you were gonna to respond to me. Yeah, it's it's really you know, I wrote one I wrote a piece that I hated about IVF and my God, you know, I got some astonishing responses. But, you know, it is triggering something that's really really vulnerable in people yeah, yeah. and when you talk to them and say would you like to tell me this story they're like oh yeah are you interested yeah. I'm like yeah
0: tell me your story I want to hear it because if you're just a static profile picture you're just a vessel to yeah. project onto but if you're a per- yeah you have a conversation and you're interested yeah
1: tell me you know I'm I'm here I'm, I'm ears like you know I and I want to know I want to understand your frustration and your pain yeah. that's what I'm interested in yeah
0: wow well thank you so much for coming on and your work has seriously like broadened my mind and blown my mind in many ways so everyone should buy your book and if people can see you speak it is an experience i love it so thank you so much so lovely to be here thank Thank you. you